This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Have you ever uh, had a goal in your life? Can you think of something, um, an ambition that became such an obsession for you that like everything else just kind of faded away? Like you got locked in, uh, tunnel vision, and it was like you, you ate, ate, slept, breathed. What's, I don't know. You know, you did, everything was like this. Was that goal? Um, can, can y'all think of anything for yourselves that was so passionate for you? When I was younger, it was horses. What? What's, horses are beautiful. They're a beautiful steed. You know? No, it, it was. It was. I got real turned on to horses. Um, I don't know if it was like the movie. Anybody remember Black Beauty? I'm dating myself. Thank you, RJ. Black Beauty, or, or this one's really going to date me, the, uh, the man from Snowy River. Anybody? No, we got a couple. Thank you. Yeah, we got a couple, right? And I was just like, horses are incredible. I, I, I want a horse. And so I just locked in on horses. And I was like, Mom, Dad, I want a horse. And they, uh, they were great. They were like, okay, okay, cool. We can work with that. Um, they didn't like shut me down. They're like, here's what you have to do, right? You've got to raise the money for it. And so um, I, I remember, I, mean, I, I would go like in my parents' cars and their friends' cars, and this was back in the day when you had coins, um, and you would fill your ashtray with coins, and I would just be like, someone comes over, I'm in their car, and I'm scooping out the ashtray, and I'm just load, and so like I would just load up anywhere I could find money um, and just start saving it until one day my parents are like, okay, okay, that's enough, uh, we'll, we'll get you a horse. So I, I had two horses growing up, one because the, the, it was the mom, and um, and then she had a baby that came with her. Um, and so we had two horses for a while, Holly and Chip. Um, would love to have horses again. They were great, great horses. Uh, but I was locked in. Like horse, I had horse books, horse like little figurines and toys and stuff, horse posters. Why are y'all laughing at me, daughter? Like, gosh, yeah, I loved, I loved horses. Um, so anybody, anything like that, like maybe it's a hobby. We got some rock climbers here. Man, you're like, I'm all about rock climbing. Like, you walk around in your shoes with your toes, like, curled up like that. Um, maybe you just have some chalk ready to go just in case. Um, you're like, man, well, I, can, I can boulder this. I can scale this, this building. Um, and so uh, rock climbing, I, I've heard, uh, perhaps it's a person, right? You either want, like, you want to learn about someone or you started dating someone and everybody's like, hey, remember me? And you're like, nope, don't remember you anymore. Boom, locked into this person. Um, maybe it's, like, getting out of debt. You're like, dude, I am going to debt snowball the mess out of this, right? And you are just locked in on the plan of getting out of debt. And you, I mean, you go and you're like, rice and beans, beans and rice. That's it. Um, and you're just tunnel visioned on this goal. Um, perhaps uh, it's getting sober, right? You're like, I'm going to get sober from this. And that means I have got to lock in on this objective, this goal. Everything else kind of takes a backseat, right? So it... Got something like that? I, I, think, I think we probably all have these ambitions, um, th- these, these desires that it's okay right now where it is, but it's not okay to stay there. And, and I heard a pastor call this a holy discontent. And I loved that definition, right? A holy discontent. That is a simultaneous, I'm content with how things presently are in this moment, but I'm not content for them to stay that way. Right? I'm content for, for the, the, I have joy in this moment, but I'm not okay for this moment to be tomorrow or the next week or the next month or the next year. You have an ambition for, for better, for more, a goal. 
which is how God created us, right? In Genesis 1, he created Adam and Eve. There was no sin, right? He steps back at the end of Genesis 1. The last verse says that God looked at everything, and he was like, this is very good. And yet, what did God tell Adam and Eve in that very good setting? Hey, go work. Go produce. Go develop. Go grow. Go expand. It's very good right here, Genesis 1 but it's not meant to stay like this. Right? We're created to, to grow and to develop and to produce. We're created to have a holy discontent, a holy ambition in our lives for more, for, for better, for something to develop on the horizon. That's how God has, has made us. And while I do believe that there are many many holy ambitions that God gives us, there's, there's one ambition, one goal that I believe is and should be primary for our lives. One ambition, one holy discontent that, that is better and should be the most ultimate in our lives. Let's, let's read what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. So we're focusing on verses 12 through 16, but I want to go back to verse 7 to start reading uh, to catch up to, to verse 12. So Paul writes in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Do you, you pray with me for a second? God, th these are your words. And I know for myself, it's so easy for me, especially in routine or having read or heard this before, just to kind of go through the motions. But God, today, would you, by your spirit, speak to each one of us? Illuminate our minds and our, our eyes to see you, our ears to hear your voice. Give us faith to believe. Inspire us, God, to press on after you. And Jesus, we ask, amen. Reading that, what was Paul's, Paul's holy ambition? What did he want? What was his holy discontent? What was his goal that he wanted to grab hold of? Knowing Christ. 
right? Knowing Christ, he says in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, there was a transition in Paul's life where something took the supreme value. Something took priority in his life that wasn't prior, prior, sorry, previously. I've got to, I've got to, I, I say previously, and then I get made fun of, and now I'm in my head about it. So, Previously there, something changed that, that became ultimate, and it was to know Christ and to become like Jesus. That became his ultimate ambition, and it's not that Paul didn't have other ambitions, right? Paul was a church planner. He wanted to start churches. He was a pastor. He wanted to pastor people. He was a tent maker on the side. He had, a, he had a side hustle that he wanted to obviously make money with. Right? He had friends that he wanted to eat with and, and to know. And those were all good ambitions. He didn't want them to stay put. He wanted them to grow and to develop. But all of those served one ultimate ambition. All of those were meant to help fuel one holy discontent, and that was to know Jesus and to become like him. God's given us these ambitions and goals in life, right? To, to get a degree and have this job, to start a business, to have a family, to have great friendships, to be a champion pickleball player. Like all of these things that are, that are fine and good, but he says there should be one ambition that all of these ultimately submit to that trumps everything, and it's knowing Jesus, knowing Christ and becoming like him. Now there's what Paul says in verse 12 and the beginning of verse 13 are, are encouraging to me. He says, I want to know Jesus and become like him, and then he says in verse 12, I, now I haven't already obtained this. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect, right? In verse 13, it says, I don't consider that I have made it my own, right? The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who might be the most well-known New Testament name second to Jesus, I mean, at least, you know, top five-ish or so, right? And he's saying, there's a goal I want of knowing Christ, and I'm not there yet. I've got, I've got room to grow. I've got room to progress. I've got stuff. I've got habits that I'm still trying to kill. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I'm so encouraged by that because anyone else ever been frustrated with how far you haven't advanced yet? You ever looked at your faith and be like, dang, I really thought I'd be past this at this point. Paul too. Read Romans 7. You ever thought, man, I want to know more of who God is and his power. Like, I want to see his presence around me like I've never seen before. Paul 2. Right? Have you ever just thought, I'm still a work in progress and been discouraged by that? Don't be discouraged. Paul was there too. I, I, I love, I love when people are okay with not being okay. 
but they're not okay with staying there. I love being around people who are okay with being a work in progress. Because what that tells me is that they just see life as it actually is. None of us have arrived. None of us have completed, you know, the, the goal of really whatever we want to be as humans, but certainly of knowing Christ and becoming like We're all a work in progress. All of us. And how, how encouraging is it to be around someone who's okay with that? And they recognize that and like, I'm okay with still working on this. I'm okay that I haven't made it yet. But I'm going to keep putting in the work. I mean, Stephanie and I were talking this week about, you know, our marriage. And like, gosh, sometimes we feel like we should be better off in our marriage. We've been married for 17 years. We've been together for like 40. I don't know. Right? We've been together for a while. And we're like, sometimes we should be better than this. But that's because I think we forget that no, we'll always be a work in progress. Always. We all have room to grow. So did Paul. Right? That's encouraging. And in case we're like, oh, man, what kind of stinks that we'll never get there, it's, it's always the next degree of better, right? N knowing Christ is not like, oh, man, well, this, this kind of sucks. It's like, no, no, it's, it's just better and then better and then better and then better. Like, we never reach the ceiling of, of the fullness that Christ offers. And that's a beautiful place to be. I love that Paul says, man, I want to know Christ and, and to be like him, but I'm not there yet. Neither are we. Let's not be discouraged by that. Let's just own it. Like, all right, let's get back up. Let's get going. We'll always think I should be further along. Always. Let's not be discouraged by that. Let's just get up where we are and keep walking. Keep moving. So Paul says, I want to know Christ, and I want to be like him, but I'm not there yet. And so what does he do about it? Does he just kind of be like, ah, well, it was a good run. You know? Made it pretty far. Does he just kind of hope for the best? Like, hopefully one day I'll just kind of wake up and magically have, like, progressed? You notice he, like, start pointing fingers and be like, oh, my church let me down? Man, if my pastor would have done this. Right? If, if, if I would have had parents, does he start blaming others? Oh, what does he do? He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And here's where we get to the meat and potatoes of these verses. But I press on to make it my own. I press on. I'm not there yet. There's a target in front of me. There's a goal. There's an ambition. There's a holy discontent. I want more and I'm not there yet. And so I just keep going. I recognize where I am, and I put one more foot in front of the other. I take one more step, and I just keep moving. Just keep going. I press on to make it my own. The word press on is the Greek word dioko, which means to intentionally and relentlessly pursue. Dioko is not one of those, like, I just stumbled into godliness. Like, I just, just woke up one day, and I was really a lot more like Jesus. I don't know how it happened. It's an intentional and relentless pursuit after a goal, after a target. It's tunnel vision. Everything else kind of fades away. Think about, I read, I read this uh, one author. He said, think about a lion chasing a gazelle. 
right? This lion is pursuing intentionally a target. And you, I don't know if you watch a lot of National Geographic, right? But, but the few occasions I've seen of that, you don't see the lion just kind of casually strolling around, you know, checking out the scenery while the gazelle's running off. You know how the success rate of that? Pretty darn low. When, when a lion is pursuing a gazelle, I mean, it's locked in. Gazelle goes right, which way is the lion going? So, come on, we got some smart people around here. We got some, they're sharp. Let's try this one, though. If the gazelle goes left, which way is the lion going? Yes. Now we're cooking. Here we go. Because he's locked in. There's no room for like, oh, let me just go meander over here and talk to my buddies, right? And just, you know, oh, let me just take a nap. You take a nap and that thing's gone. Dinner's gone. Your livelihood is gone. He says, think about it from the flip side. That gazelle wakes up. There's something coming after it. What's he doing? Oh, let me just casually stroll about this. Right? Oh, it's okay if I just kind of, you know, hang out with the lions. It's okay if I just like casually approach my day. What's going to happen to that gazelle? Snatched? Is that what I heard? You're going to get snatched. You're going to get eat. Right? And yet we want to be like, I'll just casually play with sin. Right? Like, ah, you know, I know the Bible says the devil is a, a, a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, but it's okay if I just casually go about my life and my day. Like, you got to lock in because there's something pursuing you that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I was reading an article um, recently about Michael Phelps and his uh, routine. I was, I was a swimmer at the high school level, real high, real high. But I was reading his, uh, his routine as an Olympian, 6 a.m., wake up, eat, 7 to 9, swim, 9 to 10, weight lift, 10 to 12, eat, 12 to 1, nap, 1 to 3, get odds and end chores done, 4 to 6, swim, 6 to 8, eat, 8 to 10, spend time with family and friends, 10 o'clock, bedtime. In the eating, he would eat 10,000 calories a day, which apparently is a lot. I don't, I don't really know, I don't know food stuff very much, so apparently that's a good for you. But what he ate was intentionally toward that goal. When he slept and how much he slept was toward that goal. He slept in some like oxygen chamber thing to help him, you know, acclimate to the temperature of the water. Like everything was toward this goal. That's Dioko. That's when you are locked in on something so passionately that everything else, eating, hanging out with friends, exercising, serves that goal. It's not that those things don't matter, it's that they, they ultimately point to something else. And Paul says, I press on after Jesus. That he's so surpassing in value and worth that, that he is my number one focus and pursuit and goal and ambition. Everything else serves that end. Every other ambition he has to, to make the best tent and to make money so he can eat or whatever, it serves that end so that he can continue to press on after Christ. He says that is the number one ambition of his life. Press on. Keep going. Focus on Jesus above all else. To know him and to become like him. Now he gives some elaboration of what that's going to look like. He says in verse 13, I, 
Not that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. We've got to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. You have a hard time moving forward if you're looking back. I'm going to have a hard time walking that way if I'm facing and moving this way. He says, if we want to press on after Christ, then we have to forget the things that are behind and strain forward to that goal. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. A couple things we have to forget in our past. We have to let go of. We got to let go of our successes. We can't settle. Right? We, we haven't arrived yet. We can't, we can't settle for halfway up the mountain because the view is pretty good here. So we'll just stop here. Yeah, the view's good. But the goal is the top of the mountain. The greatest view is the top of the mountain. So often, right, like we, we, we just kind of be like, ah, you know, this is good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Pretty good. And we just live in the past. We settle. In John 10, Jesus said that he came that we would have abundant life. It is insulting to Christ to settle for anything less than what he came to bring us. The fullness of knowing him and being like him. We, we, we can't just settle for our past successes. The, the camp high that we had. Passion 24 was awesome. That was great. Okay, there's more. Like that was a foretaste. That was the appetizer. That was the soup. The main dish is coming. Sorry for all those who think soup is a main dish. There's more. Perhaps more than our past successes, we, we have to forget the, the failures of the past that oftentimes weigh us down with shame and guilt. More than, I think, looking back at the, the successes, I think we get stuck looking back at the mistakes and the shame and the guilt that we feel from our past mistakes. We're not going to run fast forward if we're tethered to the past, if we're stuck in the past. We're all a work in progress. It's, it's okay. It's, it's okay that we... We weren't perfect. Surprise. But what makes us successful is when we, we don't let that stop us, but we get back up and we move forward. I saw this video uh, of Chris Bosh. Um, he's a former NBA player, and, and he was saying um, he remembered this encounter he had with Kobe Bryant that just totally inspired him. It was in 2008 um, and it was shortly after the Lakers lost to the Celtics um, in, in the NBA Finals. If you're not a basketball person, Kobe Bryant played for the Lakers, not the Celtics, right? And, and so they just lost the Finals, the NBA Championship, but, but now they were um, in Florida training for the USA basketball team. And Chris Bosh was a young uh, player, but he wanted to like, grow as a leader. And so he said, I determined that on the first day of practice, I would be the first one up and at breakfast, on the itinerary, breakfast was how they started the day. He's like, I was going to be the first one there. I was going to set the tone. They're like, we were doing this. 
We weren't sleep. We were here for business. And he said, I walked down for breakfast, and Kobe was already there. And not only was Kobe already there, he had his knees iced up, and he was drenching sweat. Because not only did he beat me to breakfast, but he'd already worked out before I even woke up. Days after he lost the NBA championship. And he said, that's when I realized that legends aren't made by their successes. They're made by how quickly they respond to their failures. I was like, shoot, come on. Listen, y'all, we are all going to drop the ball and fumble. Hall of Fame baseball, baseballers are hitting three out of ten. And why do they are amazing? None of us are going to bat a thousand percent. And not only that is we're going we're gonna to fumble the ball in some epic ways. We're going we're gonna to look up one day in, in this pit that we dug for ourselves and go, how did I get here? In the Bible, and Paul's like, hey, I got, I got like murder in my, my history. I, I've got false imprisonment in my history. And if the cross of Christ is enough for me to leave that, it's enough for us to leave our mistakes as well. You know, we have to know that God has so much more ahead for us. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when we confess and repent from our sins, that, that God chooses to remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, he, he's like, ah, oh, let's get rid of that. He doesn't view us through the lens of our past mistakes and failures. Now, let me be clear. Forgetting what lies behind does not mean hiding or burying. Right? I can't just sweep something under the rug and expect that it's not going to be there. Guess what? It's still there. Now it's just getting stinky and toxic. To forget our past mistakes behind means to confess them and to repent them, repent of them before Jesus. That's how we sever and break free from Paul, murder. David, murder and adultery. Moses, murder. Like, we ever read the characters of the Bible? They're shady people. And yet what God's like, he's like, they repented well. Look, God knows that we're not going to be perfect. God knows that we're going to drop the ball. What makes him so excited is when we go, I'm confessing that and I'm moving forward. I'm getting back up and I'm moving forward. I love being around people that are like, I am owning that and, and, and getting rid of it. And moving. If, we, if we can't own it, then we're just dragging it behind us in some suitcase that we think is going to lighten some way. Yeah, Christ has made, come to make, set us free. Either the cross is enough or it's not. If you want to run forward, we have to forget what lies behind. We have to break free from the stuff that holds us back. Listen, I know for some of us, I'm, I'm, you'll find one of the biggest fans of counseling here of, of anybody. Um, for, for some of us, man, there's stuff that runs deep. Like there's some, there's some wounds and some traumas that happened when our brains were just like eight and nine years old and were being formed and they formed around this traumatic event. And we need some help to undo that. We need some help to get in there and kind of uproot that stuff that just formed around us that we may not even know is there right now. 
And so you're going to find, there's an advocate here for that. I'm, I'm for you in that. If you're like, I want to go to counseling and I can't afford it, talk to me. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll find some way to make it happen. Or if you just want to go grab coffee, I'm not, I'm not a professional LPCS person thing, whatever the letters are, um, but I'd love to grab coffee and just listen. Just listen to you. And if I can, I promise you there's others who would. We are not, it's okay for you to be right where you are right this moment. Don't fake anything. Don't act like you've got it together when you don't. But dadgummit, for the glory of God, it is not okay for us to stay here. It's insulting to the cross of Christ and to the abundant life that he gave everything to bring us. Let's forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. That's the next part. I can't just forget that and then stay put. But I've got to strain forward. I've got to push forward. Don't quit. Man, following after Jesus, it's not going to be easy. Jesus tells us that. Right? Waking up early to, 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 to get in the Word before other stuff, hard for me. I'm not a morning person. Like, it is not my jam. It takes me like four hours to get going. But if that's the only time that I can have some peace and quiet, I sure as heck better figure out how to do it. I got to strain forward. Right, Paul gives this imagery of an athlete running and just their, their muscles are screaming at them because they're just pushing so hard forward. He's like, that's going to happen in our spiritual lives. Running after Christ is not always going to be just some easy breezy cakewalk. But are we committed to straining forward after Jesus, to know him more? He also gives the imagery of don't let anything get in the way of your race. Don't let anything get in the way. Hebrews 12 is one of my favorite verses. Um, it's, just, it's just so filled of, of, of practical imagery. The author says in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Anybody uh, track run runners? Oh, one. Awesome. Way to go, Rob. Okay. <laughs> swimmers? Competitive swimmers? Okay, there's three of us, four of us, so there's more. That's like four times. Okay. You've seen it happen before, right? We've seen it. Okay. How many times when you're watching the Olympics and you've got someone doing the 200-meter dash sprint, whatever, or the, the swim, right? How, how many of them like, have their sweats on still? None, right? How many of them are like, let me run with ankle weights or like one of those parachute things that you're training with, right? No, that's stupid. You, you, don't, you don't run forward with the weights that hold you back. Now, is there anything wrong with those things? Like, objectively wrong? No. But this author is like, hey, do you want to run after Jesus enough that you're willing to get rid of the weights that hold you back? He also says sin. Right? He, he gives the distinguisher. There are some things that are black and white sinful. 
God says don't do it. If we do it, it's only adding obstructions to us running after Jesus. It's impossible to become like Jesus when we're doing things that aren't of Jesus. Right? So he's like, hey, cut out the sin. Repent of the sin. Right? Turn and face Jesus again. But then he also says, hey, get rid of the weights that are just going to slow you down. Get rid of the weights that are just going to slow you down. Those things that aren't necessarily wrong, but they're not helping you. Right? Hour three of, of YouTube or Reels, pro- probably not helping us chase Jesus very well. Right? The, the devotion that we have to, to food or to drink, it's not necessarily wrong, but it's maybe not helping us chase Jesus very well. Are, are we willing to, to put away the obstacles and the things that get in our way of chasing Jesus? We'll do it for exercise or hobbies or for money or for success, but will we do that for Jesus? Will we actively put away the things that slow us down and hinder us? We've we got to forget what lies behind. We've got to strain forward to what lies ahead. If, if you're serious about this, the, David's prayer in Psalm 139 will be a regular prayer of yours. And David prays in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Gotta ask God, hey, am I putting anything in between me and you? Sinful or just weighty? It's slowing me down. Show me, tell me, I want to know you enough, tell me. And you know what else we'll do? We'll ask other people around us. Hey, coach me, help me. Help me see my blind spots. What am I missing? What, what am I getting in the way? I, 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 was, I was baffled the other day that Tiger Woods always had a coach. Right? You look at it and you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. He's, like, He's the best in the world. And yet he always had someone correcting him, helping him observe and see, hey, you can tweak this. Hey, you added this into your life. It's not helping Same thing for Michael Jordan. Always had a personal coach. Like the best of the best of the best of the best always have people speaking into their lives. They they want to be the best enough that they'll do whatever it takes. I will humble myself for your critique and your input and your feedback so that I can be the best of the best of the best. Why? So they can raise a trophy that will burn and fade away someday? Right, so that their names can be written in a book that will not last. And Paul says, man, we're, we're pursuing eternal things. Things that will always have a return on the investment. And we don't take it as seriously as, as we do these other things that will stop and fade. I'll devote my life to a career that if I blow out my knee, I'm done for. But I won't devote my life to becoming like Jesus, which will have ripples in eternity. And he's like, oh my gosh, we've got to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Is that you? This is where the Holy Spirit starts to ask you and me, is is this describing your life? Are there things that are holding you back that you're living in the past that you're looking backwards for? Are there things that are ahead of you that, that just slow you down and obstruct your straining forward? Get rid of it. 
Here's the deal. At the end of the day, it will always come down to our heart. Always. Following Jesus is less about knowing how to and more about the conviction and the fire within us to pursue him at all costs. It is less about programs and structures and having all these things fall in line for us and more about do we love him so much that nothing will stop us from chasing him. So why did Paul live this way? He says earlier up in, verse, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, knowing Christ is of surpassing worth than anything else. He thought he was blameless, and then he stood face to face with true blamelessness. And he saw the glory of the risen Savior, and objectively, factually, nothing compared. N nothing was as beautiful or marvelous or, or wonderful as Jesus. He just put Jesus next to anything, and he was like, Jesus, the risen Savior. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story of a man who's walking in a field and he finds this treasure in the field and he's like, this treasure is so valuable that he goes home and in joy sells everything he has so that he can buy that field with the treasure. He weighs the cost and he's like, this treasure, greater than everything else. I'll get rid of everything else so I can have this treasure. And Jesus says, that's what it's like to know the kingdom of God. There literally is a euphoric experience in being with Jesus. Now remember, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. That doesn't mean our circumstances are all that great. It just means he's so incredible that it overwhelms even our circumstances. Have you encountered Jesus like that? I'll join you and be like, I don't know, probably not. Great, there's more for us to have. There's more. There's better. There's more. There's more of Jesus to have because he's of surpassing worth. The greatest beauty of Jesus, though, Paul says, verse 12, grab onto this. He says, I press on to make it my own because the cause and effect. Paul, why do you press on to make Jesus your own? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. First John, John says we love because he first loved us. When Paul, who thought he was blameless, stands before the blameless Jesus, at that moment, Paul knew, oh shoot, I'm done. I don't measure up. I, I was wrong. I've, I've literally killed Stephen. I'm, I'm on my way to arrest and false imprisonment other people, and now I'm standing before the judge, and the judge says, hey, I don't condemn you, but I've come to bring you life. And Paul realizes that while he was actively sinning against Jesus, Jesus was moving near in love, demonstrated on the cross. He goes, who loves like that? How does that happen? Paul knew that he had no right to be in the presence of God. And yet God moved near anyways and said, hey, let me fling wide the door for you. Come have a seat. 
the life of Jesus lived in Paul's place. The death of Jesus on the cross to suffer the punishment for Paul's sin. And now Jesus is alive and he says, hey, come on. Come to me. Let's forget what's behind. Let's move forward to what's ahead. And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Who loves like that? Paul's like, I'll chase after that one because he's already chased after me. And I'll pursue Jesus because he's already pursued me. I'll do everything possible to make him my own because he's already done everything possible to make me his own. Jesus, only Jesus. That is the only source that can transform our hearts in such a way that we will joyfully leave our stuff in the past, own it, confess it, repent, move away. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven me. I'm free. And now I strain forward. As we, as we conclude, I just want to leave with some, I just want to leave with some practicals. Paul ends this passage by saying that the mature in Christ will live this way. They will think this way. The mature in Jesus forget what lies behind and strains forward to what's ahead, knowing Jesus. Are you mature in Christ? And he says, if you think otherwise, the Lord will make it known to you. I believe right now that says that if we truly ask God, he will let us know if this depicts our life. Is our life matching up to this picture of Paul? Pressing on after Jesus. I believe right now the Holy Spirit will tell you yes or no. And so what do we do when it's not? Because I, for one, am oftentimes not living up to this. What do we do? What do you do right now? One, it starts with a choice. What do you believe is best? What do you truly believe is truth? Do you believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and that he alone leads you to the fullness of life? Until we believe that, there will always be something or someone else that captures our affection and our devotion more. Always. Do you truly believe in Christ? Will you repent of anything that's holding you back? Will you confess it to God? Own it. We don't have to hide it. The cross of Christ is enough. Will you repent and break free from that to move forward? Will you then discipline yourself to stay the course, to do whatever it takes to strain forward to what's ahead? And then will you remind yourself and abide in the love of Jesus? Continue to go back to he chased after me first. He pursued me first. He loved me first. Okay, let's go. Choose what you believe. Repent of anything holding you back. Discipline yourself to stay the course. And continue to lean into Jesus and abide in him. He will give you everything you need to run the race set before you. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.